Peter Carmanos came to Greensboro today to search for a temporary home for his hockey team. And the more he looked, the more he liked. It's a marvelous, marvelous facility. One of the best things Raleigh has going for it is Greensboro. For the next two years, Peter Carmanos can play in an airplane hangar in Columbus, or he can play here, the Greensboro Coliseum. Well, I'll say the obvious, it was very difficult. I mean, there was no buildup, no promotion, no nothing for an NHL team coming, and you have to create that kind of excitement. It bothered me more after games and thinking, gee, how are we going to draw people? What's the marketing plan? What's going on here? And we're only here for two years. And, and looking back at it, I think the people involved with the decisions looked back and said they made a mistake. They never marketed to the triad. A newfound sense of optimism surrounds the Carolina Hurricanes on the eve of their season opener. A new team, new logo, new arena, new town. You might think all this would distract the Canes. But the whole move situation has helped us in that you, you bring a team close together. They don't have a lot of outside distractions in terms of who they go to and who they hang out with. They basically hang out with each other. I talked to Ronnie Francis about it um, one point, and he was just like, it was miserable. You never felt like you were able to recover from a game or a workout. Everything was a challenge. It was exhausting. And I think that was one of the reasons why they lost in the opening round of the playoffs the first year, you know, when they were here uh, to the Boston Bruins. They were exhausted. And the fact that that had to be done for two years. Because I'm sure there was a couple of guys that played a couple of years traveling from Raleigh to Greensboro and playing in front of, I don't know, 3,500, 2,500 people. And I'm not going to lie, it was a pain in the ass. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast with your host, Adam Gold. The Canes Corner Podcast is a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. And now, here's Adam. Peter Carmanos came to Greensboro today to search for a temporary home for his hockey team. And the more he looked, the more he liked. It's a marvelous, marvelous facility. One of the best things Raleigh has going for it is Greensboro. For the next two years, Peter Carmanos can play in an airplane hangar in Columbus, or he can play here, the Greensboro Coliseum. It matters, all right? I mean, this, this facility is head and shoulders uh, a better facility. I mean, you're talking about a facility that is better than half the uh, current NHL uh, uh, arena, so. And Carmano stressed that he's not spending two days in North Carolina working on Plan B. I'm not holding uh, uh, Raleigh hostage or Greensboro hostage to, well, geez, if they get the, uh, if they don't pass the referendum in Columbus, uh, uh, then we'll come here as second choice. I never said that Columbus was number one. I said uh, in the beginning of this trip, we had narrowed it down to two places. The tour hits the triangle tomorrow, and then Carmanos and his management team are going to have to make a call. We're going to go back home, put our heads together, uh, write down all the pluses and minuses in each area, and try to make a decision as soon as possible. And then we'll find out if this temporary home has a permanent effect. In Greensboro, Bob Langford, WRAL-TV5 News. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the 25th Anniversary Canes Corner Podcast Special, a look back at the franchise as it moved from Hartford, Connecticut, to Raleigh, North Carolina, with a brief layover in Greensboro. I'm Adam Gold, and we've covered the decision to leave Hartford and the dynamics that hampered that city along the way. This time, we'll turn our focus towards Greensboro. For two years, the Carolina Hurricanes, home away from home, if you will. Some background information for you. We all know the Gate City 
as the home for the Atlantic Coast Conference. The league was founded in the clubhouse of Greensboro's Sedgefield Country Club in 1953, and the league and that city have been synonymous for nearly 70 years. The Hurricanes' eventual home, Raleigh, really no different. Home to the two major state universities, the Triangle, much like the Triad, is all about college sports. And it's that dynamic that served to plant the seed of doubt in some and fostered outright defiance in others at the thought that the NHL could make a home in North Carolina. As the host of a drive-time sports talk radio show at the time, I was assured by, air quotes here, those in the know, that Hurricanes hockey would not work in ACC country. Judging from early attendance figures in Greensboro, not to mention eventually in Raleigh, they might have been right. So let's kick off episode three, our look at the layover in Greensboro. And we'll start with former Hurricanes president and general manager Jim Rutherford, who recognized the challenges of time. Well, I'll say the obvious. It was very difficult. I mean, there was no buildup, no promotion, no nothing for an NHL team coming and you have to create that kind of excitement. I mean, you see it. You see what they did in Vegas. You see what they did in Seattle. They knew that that team was coming two, three years prior to that. And there's a big buildup to it. And, and, you know, you're gaining momentum. Here we are. We come out of nowhere. And all of a sudden we're here. And we're not even really here in our permanent home. We're playing 70 miles away in Greensboro. We lived in Raleigh. We practiced in Raleigh. We just drove to Greensboro for the game. It was hard for the people in Greensboro to warm up to a team that they knew wasn't their team. We weren't we weren't staying there, so it was uh, it was difficult on everybody, difficult on the players, difficult on the fans, and and hard to promote the people to to come to the games. While it may be a little different today, 25 years ago, both teams and the media that covered them needed each other. Sometimes, however. It's just not that simple. Former WRAL TV5 sports anchor Jeff Gravely. It was a nightmare. For us in the media, if you covered a game, it was a, it was a struggle to, to get there and do your 6 o'clock live shot and cover the game and then get back. You know, you, it, it's not the, like today where you carry a laptop and a backpack and you can do a live shot and, and edit your stories. You had to carry a satellite truck. You had to do this. So there were a lot of logistical challenges. But I can't imagine what it would have been like for the players. I talked to Ronnie Francis about it um, one point, and he was just like, it was miserable. You never felt like you were able to recover from a game or a workout. Everything was a challenge. It was exhausting. And I think that was one of the reasons why they lost in the opening round of the playoffs the first year, you know, when they were here uh, to the Boston Bruins. They were exhausted. And the fact that that had to be done for two years, that's the great selling job, too. Okay, uh, we're going to move from Hartford, Connecticut to Raleigh, North Carolina in the south. But the arena's not ready, so we're going to play in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's just a short drive away. But for 41 games, you're going to have to drive to Greensboro and play. I can't imagine what it was like for players, for the team broadcasters, for anybody like that. And it certainly, it, it was almost like it was a new team without really a home. And I think that certainly affected attendance. It was never really attended very well in Greensboro, and ESPN loved to make fun of that, obviously because of their loss of the Hartford Whalers. They loved the Whalers. And so any chance they got to make fun of the Carolina Hurricanes, they did. And one of the ways they did early on was that first year when you look into a 
a 21,000 seat Greensboro Coliseum and you got 5,000 or 4,000 people there. That didn't go over too well uh, with the the good folks trying to make their mark in a new market, playing not in the market in which they are going to be playing in the future. Former Hurricanes goal scorer Jeff O'Neill, a big part of the first great Carolina squad, recalls both the good and the bad of the initial move. I will start this by saying I'm glad I got to experience rally and going to the cup final in the new rink because I'm sure there was a couple guys that played a couple years traveling from Raleigh to Greensboro and playing in front of, I don't know, 3,500, 2,500 people. And I'm not going to lie, it was a pain in the ass because you're, you're driving to the games, you're driving back. It's like our practice rink was in Hillsboro, which was almost like halfway to Greensboro. So it just seemed like a bit of a so – it didn't really feel like the NHL, and I'm sure a bunch of older guys that were, you know, looking to win and be in a solid kind of environment weren't exactly thrilled. But once again, I was a younger guy, and I, I just love being in the NHL, and you kind of make the most of it. The first Hurricanes media relations director, Chris Brown, on some early deception. We were told that Raleigh was 35 minutes to Greensboro. Now, I don't know, I don't know what kind of car they were driving, but it's a lot faster than mine. <laughs> helicopter. Yeah, it was a helicopter. Yeah, so it was. It turned. You know, the whole thing was logistically okay. We are here in Raleigh. We're doing promos in Raleigh, but we have to play in Greensboro. And for someone like myself who was responsible for not only PR, but team travel, you had to now figure out how are we going to get to the game. If we get to the game and it's a home game and we're coming back home, that's one scenario. If we're going to play the game and we're going to fly to out to another city, well, now we have to fly out of Greensboro. But we're going to fly back into Raleigh. So the guys have to park at Raleigh Airport, get on a bus, go down to Greensboro. You know, everyone knows, most people know the routine of, of, of an NHL player is to practice in the morning and then have lunch and then take a nap So and then come back for the game. So we had to rent hotel rooms, you know, so we had to have a, actually a road, a home road hotel for our players to stay in. It definitely created a lot of logistical challenges that you know, obviously we didn't have in Hartford. Longtime television voice John Forsland recounts the transition to the team's brand new world. Then there was a meeting with all the players, the coaching staff and front office people who were coming south in their conference room in Hartford with Peter Carmanis on the squawk box and a conference call type thing and a speakerphone. And the one thing that he said, and, and it, it still resonates with me, is... I will never put any of you or your families in a bad situation. Trust me on this. But then we make the move. And then in that summer, I had one year left on my deal. The Boston Bruins announcer retired. He recommended me for his his job. I was one of three finalists for the position with Sean McDonough and a guy named Dave Shea. Dave Shea got the job. Sean and I did not. Sean continued to work for the Red Sox. I decided to come to Raleigh because I came and had dinner with Jimmy, and he asked me on loyalty. He said, I gave you your shot. I know you got a year left. Can you just give this a shot? And he promised me a great television deal. Well, 
We moved down here, and in September of that year, our great television deal, which every game was on television in Hartford, turned into 29 games. 29? Yeesh. Far from a great TV deal for sure. Well, since we're in Greensboro, how did those outlets view Carolina? Then WXII sportscaster Dave Gorin. The first thing I remember after the announcement was Jim Rutherford and Paul Maurice coming to Greensboro to meet with the TV media. Like, when does this ever happen that the GM and the coach of the team come to meet with the media before the season starts? And so that was, you know, I thought that was pretty cool because you know, I grew up an hour outside of Boston during the Bobby Orr Phil Esposito, Jerry Cheever's Big Bad Bruins era. So I was a huge hockey fan as a kid and never thought I would see an NHL team here when I moved here and started in TV. So, you know, once we got the news and then that happened and then, okay, they're going to be in your market and get to cover them for however many years it was going to be until the arena was built in Raleigh. So it was just really cool. The logistical problems didn't just negatively impact the players, broadcasters, and local media. Back to Chris Brown. So our poor equipment guys, Wally Tatumer, Bob Bob Gorman, Skip Cunningham, they had to move equipment everywhere. I mean, they had to right. go to the Iceplex, or they had to go to Hillsboro, um, or you know, go to Greensboro. The whole thing was really taxing on those guys. It was absolutely terrible. I lived in a corporate condo when we first got there, and spent nights before games at hotel in Greensboro. The players had the option of uh, coming down the night before or staying uh, or coming down for the pregame ski in the morning and then stay in the hotel. The next year they practiced up in Raleigh and then came down for the game and then go back up. But then you have to transition back to back and playing a game in Greensboro. You know, it's like playing uh, 82 road games. Skip Cunningham is an original. He is now retired. Brown gives us an example of how the equipment guys dealt with the hurdles. Joke coming. Tell you a quick funny story. I go to Hillsboro one morning, and obviously I am not, I'm there early for practice, but I'm not as early as those guys, right? They're setting everything up. So I come walking through the door, and guys are just getting on the ice. And um, Wally and Wally Tatimer and Bob Gorman come up to me, and they said, Brownie, we got a plan. We got a, we, we know how we're going to get through this next two years. And I said, how, what's that, guys? He says, we're going to go hold up a 7-Eleven, a convenience store. We're not going to use any guns. And then that way, maybe we'll get one and a half, two years in jail. And when we come out of jail, the new arena will be built. Here's Jeff O'Neill. I used to go to the hotel in Greensboro the night before the game. So if you played at home Monday, Wednesday, Friday... I would play the game on Monday night and then come back home after the game, go to Hillsboro for practice, go home, and then go back to Greensboro Tuesday night, play the game Wednesday, back home, and then back to Greensboro Thursday. And I don't know, I see you're, you're the, you know, the lifestyle of it just wasn't really normal. It's like going to eat or something after the game. It was like you were traveling back and then home late. And then out to Hillsboro for practice. It was it was there was it was weird. There was no other way around it. What were the things that bothered Hall of Fame radio voice Chuck Caton? But it was the drive. It was the fact that uh, outside of a couple of games, there was nobody in the arena, basically for any games that made it so surrealistic. And uh, uh, 
uh, I tell you, it was a it was a nightmare at first. So much so that I can uh, say that uh, I didn't enjoy the first couple of years here. Uh, it, uh, it took a while for me to get used to. Uh, the area, but it's nothing against the area. It was all me that uh, couldn't adjust, really, being a, a guy from Detroit in a, an original six city. Even with the hurricanes now officially residents of North Carolina, there was still the matter of convincing the neighbors that they were worthy of their time and money. To those who are paid to cover sports, it was hardly a slam dunk. We'll do that after the break. Adam Golden Studio with my friend Dallas Brule from the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. You guys do so many things. Windows, doors, siding, gutters, awnings, roofing. Roofing. Roofing is the most important part of your home. You want to make sure you keep the water out. Our roofing products made by Certainty, the shingle roofing, it comes in a lot of different colors, a lot of different styles, but it has a 50-year, five-star warranty on all material and labor backed by the manufacturer. It's non-prorated. I've never heard of a 50-year warranty. I always hear like 20 or 30. Unless a tree hits the house or you have some storm damage, it'll be the last roof you ever put on your home. I like that. What about metal roofing? We do a lot of metal roofing. We got the standing seam. Comes in a lot of different colors. And it'll last forever, but it doesn't have the 50-year warranty like the shingled roofing does. Sounds like you're pushing shingle roofing, which you should probably. It's affordable, and again, it's hard to beat because it's a, it's really the last roof you'll have to pay to put on your home. Dallas Brule from the Aluminum Company of North Carolina, AluminumCompany.com. The Hurricanes' home opener didn't go according to plan on the ice, but in the stands, Carolina couldn't have hoped for more. Close to 19,000 fans invade the Greensboro Coliseum to see this new sport called hockey. Oh, it was great. It was a good atmosphere to play, and the fans are pretty loud, and they're into the game. And uh, you know, it's always more motivating as a player when uh, you know the crowd's into it and they're uh, you know they're yelling and screaming. It got especially loud in the third period when the Canes battled out of a 4-1 deficit to make things interesting at the end. It's a great building, and uh, um, it's probably one of the loudest buildings in the league. Uh, I uh, you know I can say if we get 21,000 people in there, it would be absolutely deafening. Even though the Hurricanes came up a bit short at the final horn, the players still feel their arena can become a house no one will want to visit. I definitely think so. Uh, you know, if we get 17, 18,000 people every night, I think it can be a very intimidating rank. And, and uh, you know, with the people that come out tonight, uh, hopefully we'll get uh, a little better result for them. Next chance for a better result comes Tuesday when the L.A. Kings invade. In Greensboro, Todd Gibson, WRAL, TV5 Sports. Chuck Caton is the only radio voice the Hurricanes ever knew. With the team from their infancy in 1979 through the end of the 2018 season, and while everyone would have rather seen a full building every night, that wasn't what concerned Caton. Well, for me, it didn't make any difference because I've always approached my job as not worrying about minutia and worrying about all of that. But uh, we'd have an engineer just crank up the crowd noise or the effects, Mike. We have more stick noises than crowd noise. That's about it from a, a technical standpoint. But it didn't bother me. Uh, I mean, it bothered me more after games and thinking, gee, how are we going to draw people? What's the marketing plan? What's going on here? And we're only here for two years. And, and looking back at it, I think the people involved with the decisions looked back and said they made a mistake. They never marketed to the triad. Uh, they should have said, listen, we're going to be here for two years. Enjoy this. Maybe have special ticket packages for people who lived in High Point or uh, Winston-Salem or Kernersville or whatever. 
And but it was so fast. This move was so fast, Adam. You've got to realize that we moved here in May and tried to start in September with preseason games. You're looking at what four months, mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was very difficult. So, in fairness to all the people who didn't have that marketing plan in place. They really could have done it the second year, and they never did. They almost treated Greensboro like uh, uh, the redheaded stepchild and and never marketed and worried more about people driving west on I-40 from this market, from, from Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. And I think that was a big mistake, and they admitted that mistake as time went on. Maybe the team should have marketed to the 11 o'clock news. Here's Jim Rutherford. I think there were a number of people in the media that felt that this was just a short-term thing, that this would not last here. You know, they all talked about NASCAR country and college country and everything, but when you really break it down as to, you know, NASCAR races once a week and and the college teams uh, um, don't play as many games and, and things like that, there's enough room for everybody uh, to survive. So, so we didn't buy into that, but there there were a number of people saying, you know, they're, the Hurricanes are only going to be here for a few years. Jeff Gravely then with WRAL TV5. I know amongst the media, we had conversations in our office. We were like, the NHL can come to Raleigh, but they'll never lead our sports cast. This is a college town. That will always lead, particularly in basketball season. Basketball is going to lead over hockey. So it was a challenge for them to get into an area that was so entrenched and trained in college athletics. And I give them a lot of credit for what they did as far as getting out in the market, the players in which they signed early on. You bring in a guy like a Ron Francis, you make a trade for a Rod Brindamore, and you start to see that this is not just a a bus stop. This is a destination in which they plan to firmly entrench themselves in. But I think it was a hard sell for fans, and it was a hard sell for some in the media, too. Because, like I said, it was interesting to sit in our office and just like, hockey coming to Raleigh? How is that going to work? How are you going to have a hockey game, and then the same night you're going to have you know, NC State and North Carolina playing basketball or Duke and North Carolina playing basketball. You know what's going to take priority, always. And so if we felt that way in the media, I know the fan base felt that way as well. Triad TV sportscaster Dave Gorn. When when you're working at a TV station in this market, there's Wake Forest, there's Duke, there's North Carolina, there's NC State. You know, when surveys are done and they say ACC basketball is the number one point of viewer interest, what are you going to cover? A little bit more from Gravely. I would say the first two years, it was a hard place to find in a sports cast. Mm-hmm. We would have it in every one, but where was it stacked? Where was it go? It, it depending on what else was going on that night in the in the area, and right. you know, I, particularly if it was just the Canes playing, of course you're going to lead with them. But if there was a one of your trio of basketball teams playing, you were going to lead with them. It would have been easy to have doubts. And Chuck Caton admits that at times he wasn't so sure. Yeah, actually I did. Yeah, I did think that. And I'm not a negative thinker by uh, by custom or by uh, nature. 
But I, I thought to myself, this is going to take a lot of work here. I mean, what's going on? I mean, it's uh, bad enough that we had to start in a uh, temporary venue. Right. And the second thing was uh, introducing hockey to uh, an area that only saw the East Coast League at Dorton Arena takes a lot of work. And I think a lot of mistakes were made uh, in terms of trying to, to build that fan base. And I think there were a lot of questions. I think if you were to ask Peter Carmanos himself uh, in those first few years, but he actually did believe in the area from a business standpoint. He knew uh, he was very prescient when it came to um, the growth on the uh, economic side of this community, and he's turned out to be right that way. I think it's taken more time. and You can't just show up and say, <laughs> here we are, we're a National Hockey League franchise. You've got to prove yourself, just like a player has to prove uh, himself. So... They didn't do that, in my estimation, enough in the early years. And if it wasn't for 2002 and going to the Stanley Cup final, I wonder how this franchise would have fared. Chuck hit on something that we'll tackle in a more in-depth way in a couple of weeks. Now, back to Jeff Gratley. It was a great start at home as far as, you know, the sellout, but then all of a sudden attendance starts to dwindle. And then, uh uh-huh, told you, told you. Is this going to work in this market? Jeff O'Neill on then and now and vice versa. I mean, driving into Raleigh during the playoffs and seeing the arena full and the parking lot tailgating, it's like that gives you an excitement level of knowing what's to come into the rink. And when you're pulling up to Greensboro, it was kind of a ghost town. You knew nobody was going to be there. So was there that home ice advantage? Probably not in those couple years. There was nobody really there, so... Could that affect play? I mean, there's no excuses, but it wasn't exactly the most exciting place to play in the league. And at times, it didn't really feel like the NHL. You get guys traded there from big market teams and, and big league cities. It was it was a weird thing. But stuck it out, and now I think Raleigh's a pretty damn cool place to play for anybody in the NHL. We sure do leave a mark, don't we? In a minute, there were some whose job it was to sell the team to fans. So more on that and what's down the road after the break. I chose William Peace University because of the small class sizes. I feel that you get more one-on-one time with teachers. With class sizes like about 16 per teacher, you can really get that one-on-one help a lot of students need. A 12 to 1 student to faculty ratio is just one of the many reasons students choose William Peace University. Extra attention starts day one for career planning with their Career Services Center. Find out all they have to offer at peace.edu. A newfound sense of optimism surrounds the Carolina Hurricanes on the eve of their season opener. A new team, new logo, new arena, new town. You might think all this would distract the Canes. But the whole move situation has helped us in that you you bring a team close together. They don't have a lot of outside distractions in terms of who they go to and who they hang out with. They basically hang out with each other. Being in a new town not known for its huge base of hockey fans, the Hurricanes know they must be competitive to fill the seats. A quick start could be just what they need. In terms of where the team ends up at the end of the year, it points the standings. It's not imperative. From this fact that we're in a new market, we'd like to have people come out to our games and, and root behind a winning team. Yeah, we want to get off to a fast start, no question. 
but not everyone is putting a whole lot of emphasis on selling the sport to fans. I'm not worried about people in the stands. I'm worried about keeping my job and doing what I got to do to to stay in the lineup and uh, and uh, to stay here for a long time. So that's enough motivation in itself. And that's just the competitive attitude that may earn this franchise their first playoff bid in six years. In Raleigh, Tom Crichton, TV5 Sports. Chris Brown, the director of media relations at the time, feels that the team would have been lost without Chuck Caton and John Forsland. Both of those guys were front and center. They were willing to do anything anyone asked of. Um, arguably the most well-known faces of the franchise when we first started and through that. Um, and they did a tremendous job in Greensboro. Um, you know, we had fanfares down there. We had fanfares in Raleigh. Um, and they were always willing to jump in and teach the game. And I, I think part of the reason why the franchise is doing so well now is because those guys were so willing to spread the game. And and, and not really – it wasn't about themselves. It was about the game and the team. And I, I think that was, you know, cr- very crucial to the success of this team. Here's John Forsland. We probably should have lived temporarily in Greensboro and then moved here. But no, we they wanted us to live here, to be in the community, do all the community work here, and have no regard for anything in Greensboro other than that's where we're going to play. And it was hard for two years to go back and forth and navigate practices and, and then try to earn some credibility here because we didn't have any, right? And we kind of de- I thought we kind of demanded it when we got here. I thought we kind of came in and it was wrong because it was like, okay, we're here now. You better enjoy us because we're a professional team. Well, nobody saw it that way, really. Some of the fans who had an idea in Raleigh about this understood who we were and how this happened and they followed the league. But many people thought, us as, thought of us as just another version of the Ice Caps. And big deal. I had a lot of people ask me, well, why are you guys even here? So I've gone through an expansion process in Seattle. I see what the buildup is like now for something like that. But even Nashville, the Predators had a more organized buildup to their franchise than we did. We had a four-month relocation with no fans, really, to speak of. And we had to do everything on the fly. Disorganized, organized, a combination of the two. Um, and many times it was a circus. Coming soon. A deep dive on how Raleigh won the battle with Columbus and maybe others for the Whalers. And we'll also take some time to look at Raleigh. But next time, some fun in year one and year 21. This Canes 25th anniversary podcast series is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Thanks to our friends at the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. And with special assistance from my friend Rusty Helser, I am Adam Gold. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. The Canes Corner Podcast is a part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network.